You all doing good? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew 18, uh, 21 to 35. Um, it's interesting. A man was, was talking about what we're like, and he says, we're most like beasts when we kill, and we're most like men when we judge, but we're most like God when we forgive. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like to be forgiven. I think most people like to be forgiven, but sometimes it's a lot harder to forgive, isn't it? Uh, we tend to have this idea that I can, I can be forgiven, but I can hold a grudge, or I can hold people accountable, or I can expect justice, or those kinds of things. But, you know, as, as we think of this whole idea of forgiveness, I, uh, God forgave us so much, and we're going to look at that this morning, how he has forgiven us, and yet so often we'll kind of feel we have the right to hold a grudge or to judge others and um, expect them to fall in line with what we want. And yet when we lack forgiveness, it, you know, it, it not only affects our, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, it doesn't just affect our relationship with other people, but as we're going to see this morning, uh, when we lack forgiveness, it robs us of our joy. It robs us of the peace that is supposed to be down, deep down inside of us that God wants us to give. It's, it's not there when we're thinking about somebody and we're negative and we're critical and we're angry. And I think it even affects our mental health. A lack of forgiveness uh, can distort our personalities, how we relate. And it, it really isn't where God wants us to be. It, it's not being like him. We talked about that, being like Jesus in our song and our singing, and, and yet, so often we fail to understand where this fits in terms of forgiveness. And so we're going to look at this passage this morning, Matthew 18, and it is the, the, the parable of uh, the king who forgave a servant so much and then the servant was unwilling to forgive another uh, a piddling little amount in comparison and how he paid the penalty as a result of that. And it just talks about our relationship. You remember a parable is something that's thrown alongside a truth, and this is really talking because it's very clear here that the parable we see is going to be thrown alongside of the truth of what it's like for the kingdom of heaven. But as we come into it, you look at the context just a little bit to give us an idea of where we're going, and Jesus had just talked to his disciples about the idea of what we would call church discipline, or how do we deal with someone who has sinned against us, or we've just seen them sinning. In verse 15, it says, if you see a brother sin, uh, you go to him in private. You don't get a whole bunch of people and say, hey, let's get together and pray about this guy or anything else. It says you go to him in private. You don't make a big thing in front of other people. And uh, according to this, if you go to him in private and he listens to you, he understands what you're saying. There is a rectification. If it's, a, if it's that he's sinned against you, maybe there's forgiveness and there's a a statement of, of being sorry for what they've done. And it says you've won your brother. It's okay. And it's talking about a brother here. We're not talking about a situation out there with somebody you don't know or somebody in the world. It's talking about a brother, a person in the church, or a, a, a man or a woman, or, or someone probably in the body of Christ, if we look at it uh, from that standpoint. If, if that 
person doesn't listen to you, you go and there's still division and divisiveness. It says you take two or three people with you. Now, I'm, I'm going to suggest if you're going to do that, don't go get your best buds that are going to agree with you on everything. Go get some people that you know are spiritually uh, in tune with what God wants because you may be the problem, one that has a problem. And uh, those individuals may come together and say, we, we don't see things quite the way you do. But you go with two or three. If they don't listen, it says to the two or three, you take it to the church and they're uh, put out of fellowship with the body. And so they're removed from that fellowship relationship. Now, I've got to tell you, I have a belief in terms of church discipline. It isn't for just every little thing that tends to bother you. I think when it gets down to the ultimate in church discipline, it really needs to be an issue that not only is a problem for the individual and you, but it will probably be a uh, bad mark against the body of Christ as well. Uh, there should be that thing where we go to a brother in private and we talk to them and we work through things. And, and I believe that's true. So Peter was listening to Jesus as he was talking about that and he came down here to verse 21. And I think Peter had heard this first verse, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Maybe Peter got stuck there when he was listening to Jesus because in verse 21, Peter came and he said to him, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Uh, you know, some people think that maybe Peter was really talking about his brother, Andrew. And uh, I, I don't know that that was the case, but certainly uh, another one that was close to him, he, he was talking about his brother. It wasn't somebody that was a non-believer on the street that he was seeing had a problem. But it's, it's someone who is a, a brother. And Peter came and he said to him, Lord, show me, tell me. How often this brother, my brother, sinned against me, and I forgive him. And, and there were three things that I saw with Peter here that I thought were rather interesting. Um, I, I think Peter thought he was doing pretty good here because in the, in the last line of this verse, it says, should I forgive him seven times? You know, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, thought because of the Old Testament they should forgive a person at least three times. So if they thought three times was enough, then Peter was saying, how about seven? I, I'm, a, oh, I'm so much better than these guys. And, and I think there was a little bit of pride there with Peter. Uh, he was being, as one person put it, rather magnanimous in terms of how he saw things. I, I guess he was saying, hey, Lord, look at me. I'm willing to give twice as much as the Pharisees. I'm willing to forgive seven times. Is that enough? And I'm sure he expected Jesus to say, Wow, Peter, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Seven times, that's great. Uh, Jesus didn't answer it quite like that. Jesus didn't see it quite like that. I, I think another thing is that Peter... Peter didn't necessarily see himself as needing to be forgiven. Did you notice that? He says, how about my brother, Jesus? How many times do I forgive him? Peter didn't say, hey, you know, if I blow it, how, how many times should I expect them to forgive me? And yet, if you know anything about Peter, uh, he needed to be forgiven several times. But that wasn't the picture here. He was looking at, well, how many times do I have to forgive him? And... I'm not sure Peter really was saying I'm going to forgive him 
at all. Because what he was saying is, you know, I'm going to keep a list of all these wrongs. And I'll forgive him up to seven times, but boy, when we hit seven, justice is mine. And I'm going to take care of things at that point. And sometimes we're that way. Uh, I think in marriages we can certainly be that way if we're not careful. It depends on our communication skills. But it's very easy for someone to do something wrong to you. You get together, you talk through it, husband or wife, and you say, one of you says, I'm sorry, and the other one says, you're forgiven. And it's over. Isn't that great? It's finished. We aren't going to deal with that anymore. It's past. Until about three to six months later, and it comes up again. And all of a sudden, the person that was offended the first time, do you know what they do a lot of times? Do you remember when you did? And you know what? They really didn't forgive at all. They just banked it. They were keeping it until they could use it again. And so forgiveness wasn't real. And uh, it, it's not a just a matter of waiting and justice is mine when I count to three or I count to seven or I count to ten or whatever it is. And Jesus responded in the 22nd verse. And I, I think he was probably smiling when he looked at Peter, thinking, Peter, you don't get this, do you? And he said, I, I did not say to you up to seven times, Peter, seven's not enough. I didn't give you a number. But 70 times seven. 70 times, I would have, if it had been me, if I were Peter, I'd probably look a little perplexed, and I would have said, 70 times 7. Let's see, here, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Oh, I've got 10 here, and i got 10 there. Well, we're not there yet. He'd get out his smartphone, and he'd pull out the calculator, and he'd begin to go, and, Lord, that's 490 times. How can I forgive 490 times? I can't remember all those. And God would say, you're right, you can't. That's the idea, Peter. You forgive, and it's over. You forgive, and it's complete. You know, it's, it's, this, this is the picture. And then Jesus goes into this great parable. And uh, we're just going to walk through this. We, we see what Jesus is saying is that we are to forgive. A person hurts us, and it doesn't even say if they come and say, I'm sorry, or will you forgive me, or I, 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 I shouldn't have done that. It, it doesn't say that they show any feeling of remorse. It simply says we forgive. Nothing else there. Verse 23. For this reason, and it begins this parable, it says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves or his, uh, his servants. And, and, and the picture is that we're throwing this parable alongside of what the kingdom of God would be like, God being the king or Jesus the king. And uh, he said it's like a kingdom where a king wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And so he pulled out the books, kind of like the parable we were looking at the other day, and he began to look and see who owed him money and who didn't owe him money. It was probably tax time. April 15th was there. And he needed to find out who should be paying back the sum that he had borrowed. And when he began to settle them, when he began to go through them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And we don't know much about talents other than people can sing and people have talent for basketball or for sports or whatever. But here it was a, it was a measure of money. 
and one talent would be worth about 15 years' labor, according to a, a note that I had in my Bible. That's a, that's a lot of money. Because do you see what he says? He owed him how much? 10,000 talents. Now, remember, now multiply that by 15. I didn't do that to figure out all of the years it would take, but that's a, that's a lot. In fact, I was reading, and one person figured it out and said it was probably between 10 and 12 million dollars this person owed. This is a sum that could not be paid back easily. This is a sum that was out there. It was beyond the point of being able to rectify the situation. And uh, here it was. And 10,000 talents, uh, none of us could make that in our lifetime. It, it just, or to be able to pay it back, especially when we're starting with nothing, basically. That was the idea of what Jesus was saying. It goes down to verse 25, and it says, But since you did not have the, he did not have the means to repay the Lord, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife, his children, and all that he had and repayment be made. Now, he still wouldn't make the $10 million back, but at least he would get a little bit back. He would recoup some of his losses, and that was the idea. And some people look at that and say, well, that wasn't very fair. His wife and kids didn't get this big debt. You know, I would imagine he was managing a large uh, portion of the, the land holdings for that king, and, and he'd just been embezzling and taking the money and saving it up and spending it. And my guess is they were living in an extremely lavish lifestyle. Probably a beautiful big home, if we were to liken it today. All the things that a person could want. And here he was going to be sold and become a slave in his wife and kids. And as I said a moment ago, I think... People would look at that and say, well, why his wife and kids? That's not fair. Well, you see, back then, a wife and children were nothing but property. That's really how they looked at it. And so he had the right to sell them along with the individual to recoup his losses. And the man responded in verse 26. It says, so the slave fell to the ground And he prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience. You know, fair forbear, that's kind of what it was. Uh, You know, don't be hasty with me, and I will repay you everything. I I think he was probably trying to get the king to set up a payment program. You know, if you just give me enough time, I'll, I'll pay back this $10 million. And we realized that that would have been an impossibility. I I don't know where he was. My thought is that he probably didn't feel a whole lot of remorse while he was spending the king's money. He was probably not thinking much about it at all. But once he got caught. And that's sadly to say the way it often is for people and individuals. They're not thinking much about what they're doing and what they're taking that belongs to somebody else until they get caught. And all of a sudden there's remorse and he falls down and he says, oh, forgive me and I'll pay it back and I'll take care of it. And it all relates back to our relationship with God. You see, the picture is that God is that king and we are the individuals with the extreme great debt. The $10 million debt that we owe to our Heavenly Father. We can't begin to pay God back for all that he's forgiven us. All the bitterness, 
all the anger, all the hurt, all of the negative thoughts, all the immorality, the way we treat our family, the way we treat our friends, all of those things that God's forgiven. They're way beyond what other people, an individual does to us necessarily, and God forgives them, and that's the picture. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, for Christ also died for sins once for all. This is the payment that was made on our behalf. The just for the unjust. He who did nothing gave of himself for us so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh. That's the payment made alive in the spirit. It was kind of, Peter, do you realize how much God's forgiven you? Do you realize how impetuous you are, Peter? I know, Peter, at this point, you haven't gone and denied Jesus Christ yet, but the time's coming, Peter. You haven't. Been prejudiced in a way yet, but you will when you're with Paul. Peter, do you realize how much God's forgiven you? And so the man is forgiven. He walks out. There is nothing held against him. He doesn't have to worry about it anymore. I think, wow, what a burden was taken away. We go to verse 7, 27, and Jesus changes the focus. It says, the Lord of the slave felt compassion. He released him. He forgave him of the debt. There it is. And then verse 28, but that slave went out and he found one of his fellow slaves, a peer, who owed him a hundred denarii. And we've talked about the idea that a denarii is worth about a day's wage. And so we're really talking, if you take a hundred denarii and you divide it, say, by four, you got 25 days wages. That's about four months wages. It's nothing compared to $10 million, is it? It's insignificant. And yet the man responded in this way. And I think what it really shows is he did not appreciate what God had done for him. He didn't appreciate the forgiveness that was, or the master. He didn't appreciate the forgiveness that was there or the debt that was removed. Because you see, that master took the debt on himself. I would imagine to have $10 million debt, it probably was cutting into the coffers of the nation or the the land that the that this master had. And all of a sudden, it was gone. He took it over, and the man went out, and he found a fellow individual, and he, had to, he owed him 100 denarii, and he seized him, and he began to choke him out, saying, pay back what you owe. You see, you could do that if somebody owed you a debt, and they hadn't paid it off. You'd choke them. They talked about twisting their necks when you took them to the debtor's prison. It says, so his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me. Doesn't this sound familiar? And I will repay you. Give me time. I'll get it. Give me a a payment schedule, whatever, and and I'll pay you back. But it says, his slave that had been forgiven so much was unwilling, and he went and he threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed and, and what they would do, they had a debtor's prison. And if a person owed us a, an amount of money and he couldn't pay it back, you could throw him in prison. And the thought was that in time, he was going to find out where he had his money hidden. You know, if you're going to be there a long time, they, they would figure they had money hidden someplace. Maybe it was buried in the backyard or maybe it was in an offshore account. Whatever. There's got to be money somewhere. 
and so they'd go to prison or a friend would come along or a family member would come along and bail them out and pay the debt for them. And, and so that's what he did with this individual. He, he put him in prison until he could pay back the bet, debt. Verse 32. Well, actually, 31, let's go back there again. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, when the others saw what had taken place, they were deeply grieved. And it's another part of the story here. And they came and reported to their Lord, the, the one who had forgiven so much, all that had happened And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy, compassion on your fellow slave in the same way? Shouldn't your act be the same kind of act that I had for you, that I had mercy on you? And the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed him. And we know that that was an impossibility. How much has God forgiven you? When you look at your life, do you really understand the forgiveness that was there? Do I really understand it? I think a lot of times we fail Uh, You know, we come and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've blown it a couple times. Forgive me. And we go on from there without stopping to realize the immensity of the payment that God made for us. What he did through Jesus Christ. It's, It's understanding the picture here because that's what the master is saying to this slave. And then we come down and we... Reach this last verse, and it it really ties it all together. This is what Jesus was talking about, and it says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. And he's talking to believers here. If each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. I think he was saying as I read that this week, Andy, did you get it? says to each of you, do, you, do you get it? Peter, did you get it? You see, when we're harsh and unforgiving, we're, we're kind of like that servant. We're unwilling to forgive, just like he was, even though what we have to forgive is nothing in comparison to what God has forgiven us. It, it really gives us a picture of who we are in relationship to him. In fact, we're rather hypocritical when we Say we're Christians and we believe that we've been forgiven by God and how wonderful it is and we don't forgive others. We are acting a part that isn't true. We're harsh and rigid. Back in Second Peter in the first chapter in the fifth through the ninth verses, let me read it to you. It says, now for the very reason also applying all diligent in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. We're to be like God then. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Well, that means we're not to be judgmental or negative towards our brothers, but we're to be kind to them. In brotherly kindness, we are to display love which means we want the very best for them. And it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they they render you neither useless nor unfruitful 
for the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, verse 9, here it is, for he who lacks these qualities, the love, the kindness, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification, his forgiveness from his former sins. You know, I, I really believe that Christ is saying here, because you've been forgiven, you have the power to forgive. Uh, the fact that we are forgiven opens up our lives to be able to forgive others who maybe have done things to us and we may not be happy with it, but we realize that God has forgiven us and we are to forgive them. There's a, a passage in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he began to talk to them about a pattern for prayer. And in Matthew 6, we know the Lord's Prayer. Most of us can probably quote it from memory. Pray in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it comes down here, and in verse 12 it says, Oh, Father, forgive us our debts, and we'll go forgive our debtors. No, it's not what it says, is it? It says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then you go down here a couple of more verses, and it says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. I don't think it's talking about salvation here. Uh, we're talking about a brother. He's talking to believers, those who are followers of him. Uh, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet, but especially in the passage in Matthew 18, he's getting ready to go. He's giving instruction to his disciples. And so I really believe it's talking about how do you respond to other Christians, and how will God respond to you? And you know it says in 1 John 1, 9, I believe that was written to believers as well. It says, if you confess your sins, God's faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It also talks about the, time, the fact that we are his sons, and as sons, we're disciplined. And so sometimes we go through times that aren't so easy because of the fact that maybe we've walked away from God. We aren't where God wants us to be. And so in this situation, we see that uh, it says in this passage that if we don't forgive, don't expect that our Heavenly Father is just going to ultimately or uh, immediately forgive us or show that relationship. Uh, sin in our lives causes separation from God. In uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and, and 26 it says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will forgive you your transgressions. Verse 26, it says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. And so there's a situation here where we forgive and we experience God's forgiveness then we go back to our passage, and in verse 20, 34 and 35, it says, And the Lord moved with anger because of the fact that the man hadn't forgiven his, his peer. The Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. 
you hold on to that verse and it goes over here and it gives a comparison. It says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you. There's a consequence to our actions. Uh, there's a consequence of discipline to our actions. We looked in Matthew 6.14 and it said, if we don't forgive, then we can't expect God to forgive us. And, uh, you know, if you insist on getting even, if you insist on getting justice, if you insist on getting that pound of flesh, then the idea is that you will in some way pay the consequences for that. It's going to affect you most likely in a negative way. You go back to the book of James, and in James chapter uh, 2, verse 13, uh, there's a passage that says, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We are to be merciful to those who transgress us. Talks about being delivered to the tortures. You know that word uh, delivered is to be loosed to them, to be set free towards them. And that same word is found in, in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, it was talking about when people had walked away from God. They were no longer following him. They were following the gods of the world. They were following nature. They were following man, humanity. Uh, I guess we could say the religion of of humanism is what it would be. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, let me just read them. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Now listen to verse 21. For even though they knew God, they had an understanding of who he was, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, because, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures, all those things of the creation. And therefore, here's the word, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. It says down in verse 34, and the Lord moved with anger, handed them over to the tortures until they could repay all that they owed. My heavenly Father will do the same to you. Uh, tortures are like, a, to me, an unforgiving spirit. And that spirit takes over in our lives. Because we don't forgive, we don't have the joy and we don't have the peace and all the things that were once there. Uh, I would say they would think be things like bitterness and anger and envy and hate and a lack of joy and a lack of peace, resentment. Hate eats away at people that don't forgive. If you've ever been around a person that is an un has an unforgiving spirit, you'll see that they are not happy, they're not joyful, they are negative whether they're Christians or not Christians. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, it says this is what we're to do, pursue peace with men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. You know, possibly you can think back to a time when uh, somebody said something or did something and they hurt you. And, and you have that feeling, you remember that feeling, but man, I just want to get even. I want them to hurt like I'm hurting. I want them to feel what I'm feeling. And boy, it's, it's, it's a hard thing when you experience that. I know there have been times in my life that I've had things like that. And, and the person's name comes up and, and you know what you've gone through with that individual or what you and others have gone through. And, and, and there's just this negative, angry feeling that rises up with that name. It's like those tortures. They begin to take over in your life. It's, it's like God gives you over to those things that have such a negative effect because we in turn are unwilling to forgive. We're unwilling to do what God did. I've seen people as they, they get older and you don't know what's gone on in their lives but they're angry and cranky and hard to be around and negative and they talk about loving the Lord but it isn't evidenced in their presence and you find out somewhere back down the line some things happened and they've never forgiven it. They've never let go of it. And they've never truly experienced God's forgiveness for the present day or the joy and peace that comes from a relationship with him. You know, the, the thing that makes forgiveness possible for us as Christians, because it's not natural, it, it's not human nature to want to forgive. We, we're exactly the opposite. We want to get our way. But you know the difference? It's realizing the debt I have, somebody else has done to me, isn't worth more than about 20 bucks versus the $10 million God forgave me in the comparison. It's understanding my forgiveness. When we don't understand that, we don't really have that joy that comes with God. And I just ask you today, as we look at this parable, do you, um, do you have that person that somebody mentions their name, you don't want to talk to them, you don't want to be around them, you don't want to spend time with them, Somebody mentions their name and you just kind of feel the anger welling up again and you feel the hurt welling up again and you realize that you've never forgiven. You've never let it go. You, you're like this, this slave that that person owed him just a little bit and yet he couldn't let it go. I, I think two things have happened. None, one is that we have been ungrateful to God for the forgiveness he's given to us. If we are to become like Jesus Christ, then we forgive like Jesus Christ. It doesn't carry over into our lives. It shouldn't be an ongoing thing in our lives. And number two, we've really consigned ourselves to the bitterness of the heart 
that eats away at us, that robs us of our peace, that robs us of our joy that God wants to extend to us. It blots it out so that his peace and joy isn't there. I would just say to you today as I've looked at this and it says he turns us over to the tortures, those very things that that cause pain in our lives that we just don't want to let go of. We think we've got to get our justice. We have to let it go because God forgave us. And as God forgave us, we're to forgive one another. We live in a world today that is filled with people who are filled with pain because they don't forgive. I listened to Polly Class's father on television the other night. It was after Gavin Newsom came on and said, I'm going to do away with the death penalty. Polly Class's daughter was killed years ago. And they were interviewing him, and he was so angry because he could hardly wait till the man was put to death and he would celebrate and he was going to go have a party there because he wanted justice. I understand. I understand. I believe that God told Noah, he said, if a man takes the life of another person in an improper manner, that his life is required of him. I know that that's there. I don't agree with everything going on today. But I do know that like her dad, we can hang on to that grudge and that bitterness and it eats away at our souls like a canker until we experience the peace of God. Forgiveness is so important. It's key. It's necessary. As Christians, that we forgive one another. Let's pray. Father, it's a hard one. Now we can look at this passage and we can simply say, oh, it says that we're to forgive. You know, as God forgave us, we're to forgive and leave it at there. But that doesn't take into account the consequences of what it does to us. Our mental state, our mental health, how we feel, how we live, how we relate to others. And so, Father, I pray for each of us here, including myself this morning, that you would give us that that spirit of forgiveness, not to hang on, but to let go of those issues that have been hard for us because of what somebody's done or what somebody's said. And help us to demonstrate the love that we are to demonstrate, Father. Just as Jesus Christ went to the cross, he paid the penalty for us, and you forgave us. You paid the debt. So we need to be willing to pay the debt for that person that has offended us. Grace more than justice. Thank you, Father, for this message. Thank you for what the Holy Spirit leads us to help us all to be aware of how we can live lives that are more in keeping with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.